Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we are. Here we are again. So let's do our introductions then. Um, so that's Bill Sutton that you hear every week at the top of the podcast for the most part. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. Also here is Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hey, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is senior reporter Mike Wright. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm well. We haven't had you on in a few weeks, so it's good to have you back. Good to have you back. Yeah, I can't think of what the last topic was. I know I was. I know I was sheltering in the the vestibule at the front door of the Sag Harbor office because it was so loud. I was there this morning and had to run home because I knew that you just can't record the podcast there. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, I think I we recorded one up there a few weeks ago, and I had to just put myself on mute for most yeah. of the thing. That's large, just because the yeah, the voices of others really travel in that office. Um, they could use a couple more walls. So, well, I'm glad to see that you got into a nice quiet spot. Um, now we're in the holiday season officially because Thanksgiving is behind us. All the pie has been eaten. And uh, and we already got our Christmas tree because everybody was saying it was going to be like a horrible year for finding trees. Yeah, it was slim pickings last year. Yeah, well, I was down, at, I went down to the windmill in Sac Harbor on Friday or Saturday, and um, they didn't have a lot. And this is like right at the beginning, you know, usually they have trees all over and you can kind of wander through the little fake forest. There was just like a small pile of them. Um, and that was it. And they said that their guy from Quebec um, usually comes down and he gives, he gets trees for the windmill, which is the Lions Club, and then also Sag Harbor Garden Center. And he called them both and said he was not even bothering coming down this, this year. Um, so they had to like kind of scramble to find another provider of Christmas trees. And um, wow. they only got like, you know, maybe a hundred. I don't know. What is it again? It's a, it's drought or something. I know I've read a couple articles about it. And I just... Well, I asked the guys at the Lions Club and they claimed that it was because of those fires last summer. Um, Brandon had said that it was also that after the 2008 market crash, that a lot of those trees weren't replanted that's right yeah we're in a we're in a gully yeah yeah so it's sort of like those trees weren't planted because of financial reasons so now here we are like you know during the harvest season but the guys the guy told the the lions club people that it was had to do with the fires it wasn't you know there weren't enough trees to justify him driving them down from quebec Hmm. have you heard anything brendan about the whole christmas tree shortage I haven't heard anything new this year. I know last year there was like a hurricane in the Carolinas that affected things. Hmm. And yes, going back to their session, people weren't forward thinking. They didn't say like, well, I have to get trees in the ground like every other year. Mm -hmm. They really slowed down because of the recession, not thinking that by the time those trees are mature, that, you know, the economy is going to be better and people are going to want Christmas trees again, or people are going to want lumber again. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, I also, I, I read a really interesting thing. I think it was in the New York Times was the, about the fires up in Quebec. A lot of the problem was that, you know, like back in the, I guess, 80s, 
and 90s, there were these whole, like these paper mills would cut down the trees and they would hire college students to go plant more trees. But the problem was they only planted like one type of tree that was like fast growing and incredibly flammable. So a lot of those fires were caused by the fact that the trees that were planted to replace the paper mill trees were all um, all the same, um, which when they go up, they all go up apparently. Um, so I thought- I, I imagine that was the- cheapest option for the uh -huh. mills so this 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 woman was writing that she thought she was like to being a good environmentalist by you know spending her summers tree planting in quebec and now she's kind of kicking herself because she feels largely responsible for the resulting fires um so all up in smoke all yeah, that effort. all up in smoke so there we go anyways yeah this is the kind of thing we stumble on when we talk about the holidays <laughs> fun <laughs> issues so does everybody have their tree already or do you use fake trees i have mine wait i can even show it to you look there it is oh pretty oh wow, lights already yeah we don't yeah. have the ornaments up i you know it's like it's funny my my husband is jewish and so he uses that as an excuse to never help with the tree thing uh you know <laughs> <laughs> like seriously what a cop out <laughs> it's such a cop out you know it just oh yeah he just acts like he doesn't know how to you know because it's not part of his thing. So, and now that my daughter lives in um, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, she's not around to, you know, make a thing of it. So it's kind of a lonely activity in my home. It's me, it's me dealing with the untangling of the lights and the placing of the lights. And I mean, he goes with me to get the tree, which is nice, but, and it's kind of like my thing. We got our tree Thanksgiving weekend, which we've been pretty consistent about since we got our house. And we always go to the same place and it used to be like 50 bucks. You get a tree, you get a long garland rope and you get a wreath. Wow. Bargain. This year it was $75 just for the tree. And the tree was about two feet shorter than we typically like to get, because if we wanted to get the size we typically get, it would be about $115. Yeah. Our, wow. tree, our tree was a hundred and um, that was probably up from 80 last year. And I know that Joe and Dana had said that they they spent 150 on their tree last year, which seemed really high. So they broke down and went and got a fake one this year. So they removed themselves from the market. It's interesting. It's the, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So Brenda, did it seem like the place you went had uh, was thin on trees, the number that they had? They had a lot. They had, you know, we were probably there the first weekend that they were on offer. So who knows what it looks like now? But they had all the trees out on display. And then in the in the back back of the place, you could see all the trees they hadn't even put out yet. Hmm. Was that a Bay Gardens, uh, Brendan? Yes. That's where you go, yeah. That That's where I got my tree last year. And I mean, their pickings were pretty slim for that, too. I've always gotten it at Buckley's in East Hampton. I just, I was up there last year and I hear that place was cheap. And God, I think I paid almost a hundred bucks for a tree. Yeah, that's what it is now for sure maybe more yeah well we have a big vaulted ceiling in our living room too so we need a really tall tree oh yeah yeah i think i i think i get an eight footer yeah we have really short ceilings so we thought about that when we bought our house like make sure we don't get tall ceilings so we can cheap out on the christmas tree so good thinking. we have nine foot ceilings upstairs we try to get an eight foot tree and this year it's like not even seven and it just like to other people, it's not going to bother them walking into our house. But for us, always knowing what our tree usually looks like, we, 
it bothers us so much that it's so far from the ceiling. But my parents' house, they had a family room that my dad designed and, and built most of it. And we used to get huge trees, like at least 12 feet, wow. if not more. But they wow. used to be affordable. You can't even find a 12 foot yeah. tree anymore. Yeah. You're going to have to look at yeah. the ceilings or put the tree on a big box, raise it up there. I was thinking about that, just yeah. putting a box underneath the tree stand and then a tree skirt and just convince people the tree's taller than it actually is. It's like like, like the, those shoes that DeSantis wears. Just put some, oh God, he's lifting. <laughs> yeah, the little high heel boots, you know? Got his tins. I'm up two inches in these. Yeah, he, he kind of walks like on his tippy toes. It's very funny. He do the same thing for trees. So. That, was a, that was a sign. That was a Seinfeld reference. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, when George wears his Timberlands, his Tim's, he's up two inches. So generally when we have you on, Mike, um, we're talking about issues taking place in East Hampton because that's kind of your your meat and potatoes, that part of the world. And um, this is one of those funny stories that just seems to keep going on and on and on. And it, in the surface, so to speak, it seems like not that big an issue, but it seems to have hit at the core of a lot of people's thinking as far as what town government should be able to do and what business owners should be able to do. And we're talking about the um, new Rowdy Hall restaurant location on Amagansett's Main Street. And this is a, a beloved restaurant that's kind of, I would almost say it's like the unofficial town hall, like for, you know, it's where people kind of gather. It, yeah, the clubhouse. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely yeah. been East Hampton's clubhouse for yeah. you know, 20 years yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like how, you know, if you're in Sac Harbor after meetings at the municipal building, you would head to the American Hotel in East Hampton. There's a, you know, if you're celebrating, an election victory or, you know, getting together to talk about other issues, rowdy halls where you would go. It's, it's, it's a pubby kind of restaurant. It's got a pretty vibrant bar scene. They serve, you know, really good burgers and fish and chips and all that kind of stuff. And um, they've been located in East Hampton village for how long were they there? 20. They were there 26 years. Yeah. 26 years, 26 years in East Hampton village. And um, recently they um, decided they needed to move um and they found this location on Main Street in Amagansett that had been a restaurant. Um, was it the main, what was it called? Was it the Indian House Tavern? Uh, well, most recently it was Main Street Tavern, but it was only that for one year or two. Uh, it was owned by the, by the really, really rich people that own Highway Restaurant. Uh -huh. um, and uh, they just decided that it wasn't their, wasn't their speed. And um, so they unloaded it. Uh, but it was Indian Wells Tavern for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not many years, but like 12 or mm -hmm. 13 years, I think. And that's owned by the, you know, the Bostwicks, uh, the Bostwicks crew. So it's, it's a really nice restaurant space. Beautiful. But one of the things that the Rowdy Hall owners wanted to bring with them was their exterior look, which was very much British pub, uh, black facade. Um, and so that's where this story starts, is whether or not a Black facade on Amagansett's historic, I guess it's historic, is that a historic district? It is a historic district, right. yep, Amagansett, interesting, something that I learned just in the last couple of months, Amagansett is actually the second oldest settlement in East Hampton Town, oh. um, and uh, uh, yes, that is a historic district, 
along that main street, which, you know, you wouldn't look at it and think, oh, there's a bunch of historic buildings. <laughs> but no, I mean, there's some really neat, like those shingle houses on the yeah. edges, but that whole business district, yeah. there's nothing that looks particularly historic about that. Well, and that's what that's one of those things. And I mean, maybe I'll use some slightly wrong language here, but there's there's um, you know, there's historic districts and within historic districts, there are non-historic buildings, which I think they call non-contributing buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and much of Main Street actually would, of course, be that because most of those buildings don't date probably back before the 20th century. And many are probably the 50s or something. Oh, right. It feels yeah. very 50s and 60s. So this is sort of where the yeah. the controversy. Started. Yeah, there's a scattered few, you know, that are contributing, but there's yeah. a bunch of, you know, if you look if you look around, it wouldn't be hard to pick out which of those houses, uh, which of those structures are, uh, you know, 18th century or 19th century buildings, um, and uh, there's there's plenty of them interspersed with, you know, modern concrete and brick commercial buildings. So um, so when Rowdy moved to this new location in Amagansett. They wanted to bring their signature look with them, which was a black facade um, with, I believe, is it gold trim mm -hmm. that they have around? Gold, gold lettering. Gold lettering. Gold lettering. No, yeah, no. It's very, it's very simple, you know, and it is a very sort of English black frontage is a very English pub thing, um, you know, that and like dark colors, reds, uh, greens. Um, it, it's a very English pub thing, and you know, in East Hampton Village. Rowdy Hall was down at the back of this alley and it was like this little nook and uh, painting that frontage black really did catch the eye when you looked down that alley. Um, and it had a very distinctive look and it has the gold Rowdy Hall lettering above it. It's funny, you know, I just um, a couple of weeks ago or actually just last week, uh, Dana and I were down in the in the photo archives at the at the press looking for a photo of a house that burned down in um, in Southampton and stumbled on a photo of O'Malley's. And it took me a minute to realize that that was the Rowdy Hall building that was O'Malley's for several years before Rowdy Hall moved in there in like 95 or 96, whenever it was. And, um, and so anyway, I just, that was, that was interesting because it was so different, you know, the, it was white and it just looked completely different. The door was in a different place. And, uh, but so yeah, Rowdy had this black frontage and when they decided to move from the little alley, uh, you know, which is a good hundred feet probably off main street to main street in Amagansett, which is one of, you know, that space, uh, that building used to be two restaurants actually, with um, sort of one of those split door walk-ins where you turn right to go into one place or left to go in the other. Uh, and then it got, when Indian Wells took it over, they made it into a single uh, a single space. And, um, you know, it's one of the biggest stretches of single frontage on Main Street. And they wanted to paint it black. And of course, you know, for a commercial building, when you want to do any changes to the exterior, especially in a historic district, you have to go to the to the architectural review board um, and make an application and say this is what we want to do. And then they have uh, the board members are you know chosen for their judgment as to aesthetics and uh, uh, architectural understanding of the of the various hamlets that we have. 
and you have to make your case. And Rowdy did that. And, you know, as you said, this has been ongoing. It really is approaching saga um, uh, status here, even though it's, I don't know, it's it's been six months now. I think they applied in July or something like that. But, you know, for an application like this, you know, it's not something that normally would would turn into a, uh, a controversy, really. Um, but uh, so Rowdy came in, they asked for their black. And the ARB members said, well, the code says, you know, this is the historic district. And the code says that we can only allow um, facades and appearances that um, are uh, complementary to the historic district and uh, the look of the historic downtown. And you know, in the code, but, but, but there said, weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of specifics as to what. That well, no, meant, and that's right? how I mean. You know, that's how it is with the ARB, though. In general, is that there aren't specifics because it's really. I mean, it is a value judgment and the people on the ARB are appointed for their judgments and mm. are supposed to look at things because, you know, it's, it's about maintaining, you know, these, these sort of general terms like character and, uh, and, and keeping things looking generally the same, which obviously isn't a, something that you can set parameters for necessarily. And um, you know, the, the whole complementary to, the look of the downtown, which means, you know, you can have your character and you can have your individuality, but it has to sort of stay within the the bounds of what is what is there and has been there for for decades and decades, um, cent uh, centuries even. And so, you know, they said, you know, we're not saying you can't have a single color across the front, but just that black did not seem to jive with what the code did say in the comp plan about the Amagansett Historic District is that the uh, the motif or whatever the term is, uh, is generally um, uh, white painted wood, like clappered or, uh, or painted brick, um, wood, like raw wood uh, shingling or brick, uh, red brick or painted brick. Uh, buildings and that generally that is sort of supposed to be what new buildings are supposed to uh, complement. Mm. The, the the rowdy hall ownership, which I should I should probably put a caveat here that um, I in another life worked for the owners of rowdy hall, not at rowdy hall, uh, and that I was when I was younger, was one of the uh, earlier regulars at Rowdy Hall and have count many uh, people in the ownership and uh, their staff as friends of mine. So I should just say that. But that said, um, they they bristled a little bit at this and had some back and forth with the, uh, with the ARB and the ARB asked them to bring alternatives that, that would please them. Um, and so they, they, you know, had a, had a, an artist uh, do renderings of the, of the frontage. Uh, they brought in first an alternative that would have been all green, uh, which with, uh, with red trim around the window mullions and, uh, red trim around the doors or red doors. And, uh, again, also a very English pub kind of, uh, kind of motif. 
and then uh, late when that didn't really land too well with the ARB either, um, they brought another version that was a mostly gray front um, with a black sign above the door. So the, the black rowdy with the gold rowdy hall lettering and the two um, heads of Bacchus, which is the Greek god of wine or revelry or something like that. And um, and is what is above the Rowdy Hall in East Hampton Village or was. Um, and they brought that and the ARB members who, you know, sort of were quite obviously eager to accommodate because, you know, again, this is, you know, a small town, just like being a reporter in a small town, uh, being a being a, a, a regulatory board member in a small town is fraught with, uh, you know, conflicts with your friends because, you know, you know, everybody. And, you know, one of the board members mentioned that, you know, the, the there were people on the rowdy, rowdy crowd staff that were at these meetings that, you know, she had gone to high school with. And another board member was, you know, is, was just quite obviously friends with members of the members of the uh, ownership. And so there was, you know, there was this kind of like eagerness to to find a resolution. And so when this well, third... well and, there, and there was a deadline too, I mean, because they were they were moving and they were set to, to a, yeah, to a certain extent there was there was a deadline there. Um, I mean, obviously they could have just opened with what was there already and changed right. the sign. But <clears throat> yeah, they were right. They were eager. They were they had been planning on closing for quite a while. Uh, they had put it off and put it off. Uh, a few times and uh so the so the arb said well this gray version with the black sign and you get your black top you know, your black banner and you get your gold lettering and your gold bacchus heads uh and they said uh very quickly uh, that looks good to us we will approve this and it was it was uh a, a meeting like i had i had never actually seen this happen but the the Rowdy Hall um, owners, uh, Mark Smith in particular, who's sort of like, you know, the face of, of Rowdy Hall, which, you know, if people don't know, they own Nick and Tony's and they own Coach A Commodore and they own Townline Barbecue. They, they own a whole string of restaurants. I mean, they, they were like, they own Nick and Tony's was like the original fine dining restaurant in the Hamptons. Um, so they said, wait, 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 wait. No, but we don't actually want that. We were just bringing you these alternatives out of respect for you saying we'd like to see some other options, but we hoped that once you'd seen those other options, you would decide, ah, the black's the best one. <laughs> and that you would and that you would then approve that. And you know, the board members all sort of like looked at each other and looked at their attorney and uh, the attorney for Rowdy Hall and the attorney for the board kind of got into a little bit of a, a, a pissing match, if you can say that on there. Yeah. And um, it, it just it, it, it got a little contentious and, and it got a little weird. Um, but in the end, the ARB members said, OK, so are you withdrawing these? And they said, yeah, we want to withdraw those as options from the application. And they said, all right, you can do that. They, they actually had threatened to just go ahead and vote to approve the other option and sort of leave the leave the rowdy hall sort of hamstrung. Um, but they let them withdraw that. And then at the next meeting, we're asked to vote just on the black uh, facade. 
And again, a very dramatic uh, meeting for ARB, which is, I know, I sound like a nerd for saying that, but it was, uh, I am. And it was, uh, it was very dramatic. Uh, the, the board chairman, Kathleen Cunningham, made this very impassioned um, uh, a plea or explanation for, for her stance that, um, you know, it was almost like apologetic and saying that she likes the look of the Black but that the code and the duty of ARB members would not allow her to cast a vote in favor of it. Hmm. Uh, two other board members uh, agreed, um, and one board member uh, disagreed. And he made his own offering, and he's an architect. The, the ARB, uh, by law, has to have a licensed architect on it. Uh, Frank Guitard is, the, uh, is that licensed architect who's on the ARB. Uh, and he made a very reasoned uh, explanation for why he thought the black was just fine. He said, uh, the downtown should be allowed to evolve. And, you know, while it may not exactly uh, march in lockstep with uh, the look that the code recognizes as the historic downtown, it's not a historic building. And, you know, the things, things need to be allowed to change uh, within reason. And he pointed out that the whole complementary to and the idea of the the code, uh, the ARB being duty bound to to keep things in line with the uh, historic district, are really meant to be uh, in his in his view, meant to keep uh, like really outlandish changes to architectural uh, structures. Um, he just said that the a different color on a building that's been there for decades doesn't qualify as what we're really meant to be um, complimentary. And, and so he he voted for it, uh, got a little applause. Uh, Rowdy Hall always had a big crowd of supporters that came to these ARB meetings, also very odd for an ARB meeting. And wearing wearing black t-shirts, right? And so yeah, the one in the at the one meeting they all came dressed in black, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and posed for a photo outside the building with our photographer Carol Bromley, which was uh, which was comical. And uh, and listen, I mean, they have a lot of support. And you know, like you said, this this saga is without a doubt the most talked about thing in town uh, for the most part for the last month or so. And uh, they have a huge crowd of followers, people that you know, like you said, that's that was the clubhouse for the town, and people have have a real attachment to it. And. Their ownership is uh, very gregarious across many social circles, and and is very well known and very well liked. And you know they're 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 smart people, and um, they've got a lot of fans and a lot of people who are just like, who cares what color the damn building is? And so, you know, that was a there was a there was a position on that, but the ARB said no. And um, you know, obviously the Rowdy Hall's free to sue to uh, to overturn that, but they were uh, they were due to open. They the day after, I believe it was the the day after, or maybe it was three or four days after. It was a Wednesday after the the ARB turned down the uh, turned down the their application for the black frontage. They had their closing night party at Rowdy Hall in East Hampton Village. And they told everybody I was there. They told everybody there that they were going to open in Amagansett in two weeks, um, and that the you know the front the frontage facade thing was just going to be left unsettled for the time being. 
Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSacHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. Then, lo and behold, uh, a few days before they were due to open, um, and the morning after election night, at which the dominating Democratic Party in East Hampton Town held their election night watch party at Coche Commodore, which is owned by the Rowdy Hall people, um, and uh, having held it at Rowdy Hall for many, many, many years, um, the next morning, painters show up and paint the whole front of the Rowdy Hall Amagansett building black and put up the gold lettering. And uh, the town code enforcement officers are quickly alerted because Amagansett is, after all, sort of the home of um, uh, the watchdogs of of zoning and uh, aesthetics, uh, aesthetic police. Um, and so they were quickly alerted. Town code enforcement officers came in, issued a stop work order saying you don't have a building permit, which is what it is to paint the front of this building that color. And uh, but it was already done. Um, and, you know, I spoke with Kevin Cooper, the head of code enforcement, who said, yeah, we you know, they're, they're not allowed to do any further work on it but it doesn't prevent them from opening. And so two days later or three days later, they opened. And didn't they initially say that it was, was primer and, and not? Well, and that's what, so that's what, that's what they're, that's what they're right. Mark Smith, when I called him that day said, um, uh, said, yes, this is, uh, this is primer. And we were just, yes, it's a black color, but we're painting over the old facade, which was ugly and nobody disagreed with that. And, uh, um, we're painting over that and that's what it'll be until we reach some agreement with the ARB on what our color scheme is going to be. So, you know, conveniently, that's all black, which I don't know. I, I couldn't see the paint cans in the painter's hands <laughs> to see whether it was primer or not. So you can't say he's full of it, right? Um, so they opened and they're black and it's black and they've got a gold sign and, uh, and then this past week, they did file a lawsuit challenging the ARB's um, the ARB's determination that the black facade did not um, comport to the code requirements of being complementary. And uh, their attorney, John Tarbot, who had uh, even at the last ARB meeting, had basically presented the board with his lawsuit that would be filed and all the arguments showing the history of the um, the frontages of that building and many other buildings on Main Street in Amagansett and saying, you know, this is, uh, you know, a lot of hocus pocus. You telling me that this this 
one black color doesn't work. And listen, Mark Smith's argument at the at the ARB meeting as an owner of a building was, you know, come on, people, you're not telling me that I can't use black. Nothing says I can't use black. If you if the code said you can only use white and you can only use pink or you can only use blue, then fine. I would have come to you with a with a facade that says, OK, there's white and it can only be wood shingles or white. And I would come to you with that. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything at all. And, you know, he. Well, he, I mean, that was that was my earlier point. It's so subjective. Right. that Yes. No. And the ARB members, the ARB members acknowledged that. And they said that, you know, that is sort of our duty is is that, you know, it's 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 a value judgment. And, you know, that's frustrating for a, an owner who has a very specific thing that he can't. You know, it's not like you can, as he pointed out, it's not like he can go into the building code and say, all right, I want a 10 foot fence in front of my house. And you look at the code and it says, not nah, your fence can't be more than five feet. All right, so I can't have a fence more than five feet. Well, this doesn't say that I can't have the paint color right. that I want. It just says that it has to complement and I haven't got compliments it. So, you know, who am I? Who are you to tell me now? Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, executive editor of the Express News Group. You might recognize my voice because, frankly, it's everywhere. On the radio, television, podcasts, and at live events that we regularly hold. I wouldn't blame you for being a little sick of hearing my voice. But there's a reason for all that. In addition to keeping you informed by publishing the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, and the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com, we have another goal. We believe local issues are so important that they deserve to be discussed and debated, and we want to lead those conversations in every place that we can. In fact, it's a key part of our mission. It makes this a better community. You can help us. For just $5 a month for both print and digital, you can stay informed as you join the discussion, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting the press and the Express and 27 East and all that we do. Go to 27east.com backslash subscribe and talk to you again soon. So I've written about a number of land use board lawsuits, and I could tell you that the courts are very deferential to the land use boards, or I think ARB is a land use board the same way that we describe a planning board and a ZBA as a land use. They're board. not. They're not. Um, they're not quasi judicial like ZBAs and, and planning boards are. But yes. <laughs> so what I've read is the precedent that the judges point to is that they can't overturn a decision just because they would have made a different decision. If they think to themselves like, well, if I was on the ARB, I would have approved that. Mm. That's actually not enough of a reason for the judge to overturn the ARB's decision. What they have to find is that the decision was arbitrary and capricious. Right. Uh, or if it was really counter to law. So how do you prove it was arbitrary and capricious? Um, they can't really prove that they were doing this just because they didn't like that specific owner, right? Or, could, you know, you might prove it by saying, hey, across the street, you approved a black building and then you told us no. Then right. a judge is going to say, well, that's a pretty... Yeah, that's the obvious case, one, right? right? Yeah. What I find interesting in this is that the ARB approved that ugly, ugly green color that existed there. And I think that you had mentioned that they backed off of that Right. Well, so so actually, the the um, I, I that wasn't that same board, and they said that yeah, they didn't love that 
look either, but that yes, it had it had been approved. I think there were, I don't, there may not have been any members of the current board on the board that approved that that new paint scheme um, for the for what was the Main Street Tavern, which, as they pointed out, was, I mean, was it ugly? It was it was three different colors, like a light sage was the main base, and then there was like gray around the windows and the, another color up top. I can't forget. No, nobody nobody loved it, including the ARB. They said, yeah, we. I don't think we would approve that now either. But you know, to your point, John Tarvet, the the Rowdy Hall attorney, said exactly that in the story that's in this week's newspaper or last week's now. By the time this will air, but he said that yeah, you know, the, the judges generally allow boards to make decisions. They they you know they they don't they try not to step on a board's toes. Those boards are appointed. You know, they're chosen for a reason and they're allowed to make those decisions as long as they're not, you know, breaking some legal precedent or see, not not offering, you know, whether they have one or not, but not offering a proper logical explanation for why they've made the decision they have beyond just, now nah, we don't like that. You know, you can't just say, no, we don't like that. You have to say in an ARB stance, no, it does not complement the historic district and um, somebody pointed out um, uh, that the ARB uh, had very recently won an article 78 application over a fence um, where uh, the homeowner had challenged their denial of a gate design. Um, I think basically what it was, was it was like a power gate on a driveway in a neighborhood that just doesn't have that. And the ARB said that does not, that changes the character of the neighborhood. It doesn't fit into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so you can't have that. And the judge said, yeah, they're, they're allowed to, they're allowed to decide that because that's their judgment, not mine. So was there, um, you know, the fact that Rowdy Hall existed for 26 years with a black facade in East Hampton village, you know, like from my mind, I would think that East Hampton village would have a stricter um, like architectural review board code than the town would, but I guess that wasn't the case. Yeah, but well, I mean, again, ARBs are not like zoning boards who have codes that they go by. ARBs are are a are a value judgment board, and their 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 mission in across almost all municipalities is generally the same. And it's that you're supposed to keep things in line with the character of the community. And um, so, you know, East Hampton, now you may have more fastidious board members in some like Sagaponic Villages, ARB is one of the most famously pedantic crowds there is. And um, they've, you know, they've made those kind of judgments in, in some places that something like that. Now, East Hampton Village, you know, I don't know the history of their ARB. Again, you know, it was down an alleyway. Um, it's not like it's uh, it's not like it's something that's really tapping into the historic uh, look, and you know boards change like 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 they pointed out in in Amagansett with all the varied various different facades, different boards have approved things that the current board was like, yeah, we would never have approved that ourselves, but that's right. not for us. That's you know it's a long term, it's a long uh, a long game, you know. Well, that too isn't really. A a great legal argument if they just go to the court and say like yes the arb approved black elsewhere but that wasn't us that was a prior makeup of the board the court doesn't care that the makeup changed because the 
the citizen, the homeowner, the person with the property rights, their rights aren't supposed to change based on who sits on the board. Their rights are supposed to be consistent up until the the underlying law right, changes. No question. So they wouldn't make the argument that, oh, well, our, the makeup of our board is different and we disavow that old decision. They would have to say that there was unique circumstances from one. Right. But they're, again, they're not talking about the same thing. If, if one of the others was a black fronted store restaurant, you know, up the street that they didn't like it, that a different board had approved 10 years ago, I, I think they would have admitted very quickly that there would have they been can't precedent. change their minds and say, well, that's not allowed anymore. It's just funny they talk about they talk about you know and the Amagansett Main Street evolving with the times. It's like, you know, they're, they're not talking about putting like mirrors on the front of it. They're talking about evoking like a 18th or 19th yeah. century pub. You know, that's what's kind of ironic is that right. you know this design is hardly you know. Well, it's what yeah, it's what it's what different it's what's difficult, and um, you know the ARB even said that. Uh, you know, you know, one of the board members suggested that they wished the the town board, which is the 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 lawmaker that has the power to change the code, would write the code in a more specific way and give them a little bit better guidelines. And that, you know, maybe you could have an architectural committee that came in and looked at places and said, you know, here's the 10 colors that you can use in this downtown. And that then, you know, everybody points to uh, two doors up from this rowdy hall, there's the there's the old Mary's Marvelous. It's called Organic Crush. It's a, you know, like a juice place now, and it has a bright yeah. orange uh, awning with turquoise yeah. lettering. And they're all like, whoa, 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 whoa! But I mean, it's a white brick building. That's just a canvas awning that you know that changes every few years, basically. So uh, you know, they they'd say these these are the colors that should be allowed in Amagansett. That that would at least give the ARB. A little, uh, a, a little uh, foundation to stand on. That, that may or may not be so easy. <laughs> I, I think when we did the podcast with Kathy Burke Gonzalez, the incoming supervisor, she kind of alluded to the possibility of them going and, and looking at, at at the town call code to to maybe make that a little more specific, didn't she? Yeah, well, they, right. They had that, that was that was literally like right after this had all gone down right she was newly elected and uh and that that had been in the stories this was that that was that that had been brought up at the final hearing uh rowdy hall when it was denied uh was that that was a potential uh is that that's that's something that would help it was not a proposal you know, uh, maybe it's something that she'll bring up that those kind of things are complicated and take a long time to develop um and the town board has sort of been quiet on this whole thing which yeah. you know there's there's been some people that have brought up the point that they really shouldn't uh, because the rowdy hall members uh, are sort of uh, rowdy hall ownership is sort of thumbing their nose at the town as a whole uh you know not just this arb decision and yes it was unpopular and this and that but listen, the rules are the rules and they don't have a permit. And they just said, well, we're just going to do it anyway. I mean, whether, you know, the whole primer argument is that is what it is, but, you know, to, to the average person walking down the street, it looks like they just went ahead and did what they wanted, regardless of having been told no. Yeah. And that, that is, that is a, um, you know, just an affront to the authority of the town across all across all uh fronts and and, and know, the town and the town's going to be kind of stuck with it while it's litigated 
which can take a while. Yeah, which yeah. can be years, years, years. The owners of Rowdy Hall can be retired and that could be a <laughs> Chinese restaurant again by the time it gets it gets settled. Can I ask, what are the owners of Rowdy Hall hoping to get out of the lawsuit? Is it to, to ultimately change the laws that the ARB or the, the guidelines the ARB use? No, 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 no. It would only be, I mean, an Article 78 um, purely challenges a, a you know as 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 brendan said before you know the the second most popular phrase in zoning arbitrary and capricious uh, a close second to uh, pre-existing nonconformity <laughs> um uh, arbitrary and capricious is is what an article 78 is it's, it challenges a decision saying that the decision a specific decision right a specific decision saying that that decision was made on inappropriate grounds. And so they're looking Incorrect. to get that decision overturned, which would be specific to the black. I'm not sure if the judge would specifically say you have to approve the black or that you have to reconsider the black and um, you know, either come up with a better argument for why you're denying it or, uh, or just approve it, which I think if they lost, it would just mean it would get approved since yeah. You know, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of money to spend on lawyers for something like that. It is. Right? It's not cheap. Yeah. It's not cheap. But yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's 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 like it's almost like it's not a legal trademark, but it's almost the trademark of, of that restaurant to have that that black facade. And, and as a as a as a business owner, I mean, you're, you're trying to, you know, to continue that that tradition and, and that recognition and, and bring bring your customers from from the old location to the new location it's like look kind of like mcdonald's i mean you know you, you drive down the street and you see those golden arches and you know what you get and it's you know on a smaller scale but kind of the same thing yeah but but if you go to if you go to a mcdonald's in vermont they're in little shingle houses with the with the golden arches or cape cod the golden yeah. arches are just are just on the sidewall next to the door. There's nothing right. on the front. <laughs> no, the one in the one in Mattatuck is is similar to right. Yeah, yeah exactly. or the one in Nantucket or whatever. Wading River is like a white cottage. There's places where they tell you like we don't care yeah. that the golden arches are golden. Yeah, they have to be black on white or white on black or whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, we are one of those areas of the world where the aesthetic regulations are tough. To put up a sign is hard. To change a sign is hard. Um, I know some businesses where they're, they just put up a sign and they just hope nobody complains about it and they get away with it for 10 years. And then a new owner buys the building and they try to do the right thing by getting a sign approval and then find out that they have to replace what was there with something that's half the size and a completely different color scheme because the previous people just never bothered to ask permission and got away with it. But that def for Rowdy to use that McDonald's defense that like this is our signature. Um, there's a lot of precedent to say that the boards don't have to care what your trademark is. Yeah. And and they said that. I mean the ARB said that is they said it's you know your branding is not is not our concern. Our concern is uh, our you know and our 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 mission is to make sure that this building fits into the uh, into the look of uh, the downtown and Amagansett specifically, and um, yeah, listen, I mean uh, uh, Jeff Bragman, who was on the town board for uh, four years, 
and is an attorney, a land use attorney, he called into the town board meeting right after and said, listen, the, the, you know, the idea of black paint or whatever is not uh, is not some big issue. But the fact that they went ahead and did this um, in the face of an application, in the face of the denial of a permit is uh, is a big issue and that others will be watching how the town handles this and the town he suggested that the town should go to court themselves immediately and seek a uh, an actual injunction mm. from a judge ordering the rowdy hall owners to undo what they have done which would mean basically paint the building a neutral color and leave it that way and then they can sue and that's fine and they can you know hope to get their hope to get their black approved down the road, but that until then that needs to be undone because um, so much of this kind of thing, uh, you know, they're going to get a, they got a fine. They'll eventually get a fine that I think the maximum's like a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks. And, you know, I mean, you, you've seen, we've seen it in residential development forever that, um, you know, paying fines for over clearing and, uh, uh, you know, breaking breaking some zoning zoning rule is just kind of like a cost of doing business, and um, uh, or even safety codes. You know, in Montauk for years, you had places that have just that have just paid the fines for overcrowding and noise violations, and uh, you know, it's just it's just part of uh, part of doing business. And you know, you could say that if Rowdy Hall is that is that attached to their uh, to their black frontage, they'll they'll do that indefinitely and pay the lawyers fees and so he was suggesting that the town needs to take real proactive steps to undo it um and there's uh you know i hear the grumblings behind the scene that uh, there's plenty of people that agree with that and are sort of a little shocked that the town board has not taken a more uh, a more firm stance on this but i mean maybe they will you know nothing the wheels of government do not turn very quickly at the meetings it was obvious that seems like overwhelming support for this idea. So maybe that's something that's kind of giving the town pause. And maybe this is why the Rowdy Hall owners feel like this is a lawsuit that they can go forward with. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about the tide of public opinion, it seems like it's all in their court now. So there's there's no shortage of people that were were appalled at Rowdy Hall proposing that black frontage and wrote letters um, to the board saying so and pointing out that the code specifically says you know, white wood brick mm. and, uh, you know, that that's the look of that neighborhood and that the, the board, you know, that yes, it may not say you can't use these other colors, but it says these are the colors that this village, this hamlet um, uh, is generally uh, painted in and, and you need to stick with that. Um, and so, I mean, there's definitely a crowd that, that is, that is uh, against this, whether it's, if you took a poll or a vote tomorrow, I, I think Black would win. <laughs> yeah, right. maybe, maybe we should. <laughs> that yeah, that would it would be it would be great if we could if we could have like actual uh, public opinion stuff that you have to like register that you're a uh, a resident of the town, right. uh, a homeowner, and and what you think about things, and we could just have like a heartbeat on, on everything. <laughs> Well, I personally love it, and I live. That would you want to make twenty seven East dot com the most yeah, popular right. website on Long Island? Yeah, no, I think it looks really cool, actually. But what do uh, I know? I do too. But does it does it fit in? I, I mean, I I think it I think it looks cool. I, I think a lot of things could have looked cool. I you know I remember when I was writing about this, I 
I Googled like English pub facades and looked at all the various versions, trying to see if there was something that really jumped out at me that I was like, oh, that would fit right into downtown Amagansett. And there's certainly, I mean, listen, English pubs, obviously there's a ton of white brick front English pubs with, you know, cool ornate signs and lettering, yeah. black lettering above them. And, you know, it's a, uh, we used to, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, Lynette certainly wouldn't, I'm not sure even Brendan wouldn't, but uh, Bill might remember that back in the day when what's now the editorial room uh, was production, there was actually a poster that was on the wall um, and it was all English pubs. Um, I forget, it was, I think it was Ted's, the old production guy. And when I was a brand new reporter, so in 2000, we used to do um, the dining out column, which was not really a review of restaurants, but just sort of a, a little story about a restaurant and its background and who the owners were and this and that. And I wrote one of the first ones I ever wrote was about Rowdy Hall. And, and, you know, and it was about, and wow. I, you know, I go to Ireland a lot and was a big fan of Irish pubs and the, and the look of them. And they've got these funky names, you know, and um, the pig and whistle and, and the, the, what was one called the quill and firkin or something like that. Slaughtered lamb. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I used that poster that was in our production as these names and referencing, you know, the, 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 the sort of look and feel that Rowdy was going for in that article yeah. in 2000 and, uh, you know, interviewed Mark Smith, uh, at that time. And, um, I, you know, those, I remember that poster because the frontages of some of those pubs was just, you know, priceless, hysterical. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like I said, it's, it's nearing saga status and it's not going away anytime soon, obviously. Hmm. I mean, not over yet. we've got the potential for more legal action. I mean, you know, potentially you could even have a third party that could maybe sue. I'm not sure if they would or could, but um, there's uh it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be ongoing for a while and listen, Rowdy Hall's jamming, it's packed, it's loud. I haven't right. been in there yet, but I, I hear that it's uh, that they've they've been they've been rip roaring since they since they opened in the new spot. It's a bigger space than they had before at ECM. Much bigger, much bigger, very different feel. The old place was was very sort of like cozy little corner. Uh, it was it was uh, physically complicated because of the way the walls were, and it was very tight around the bar. Now they've got a huge bar area. Yeah. Um, you know, probably quadruple the number of people can hang around within arm's length of the bar. Uh, so is the, um, what do, do you know what's happening with the former Rowdy Hall space in East Hampton Village? Uh, we've heard some, we've heard some grumblings. Um, I, I'm not sure that it's anything that's worth saying. I mean, I've, I've heard that uh, Mr. Potter from Sag Harbor has uh, had his eyes or had designs on it. Um, I heard a potential name for it that I can't remember now, but it was something that clearly sounded seafoody, mm. which made me raise an eyebrow picturing that little back alley place, the smell of steamers. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. It's it's a uh, you know as 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 uh, one of the owners of Rowdy said when I wrote an article that they were moving. Um, it's a it's a complicated space. Uh, and it needed a, a physical 
refresher and it's part of why they moved because they were looking at having to spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars on a rehab of the building and that they would then still be stuck with the kind of funny little space that it is because there's just some physical limitations there so you know i mean it it's obviously a, a popular space it's well known there's a lot of people that just sort of automatically walk down that alley and uh you know it's right up the street from the movie theater which granted isn't as much of a draw as it used to be but you know it, it is what it is and the village is uh the village is a downtown and you know it's a place that that people like and it's a cozy little space so there's there's certainly potential for somebody jumping right in there with a little uh a little burger joint or something like that that would be an instant instant hit that brings up a, a good a good question was was the changing nature of the businesses and the foot traffic in east hampton maybe since covid and and other things that have happened there part of their decision to leave yeah. the village you know yeah, the they, rest- they no, they said they said exactly as much they yeah. said the village the village is being in the village isn't what it isn't what it used to be yeah, you got stores that shut down in September. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and the movie yeah. theater, you know, was closed for most of COVID. So yeah, yeah. Listen, and you know, as somebody who lived in Springs for thirty years, um, you know, getting to downtown Amagansett is is sort of shorter and um, a little less complicated than getting into downtown East Hampton Village, um, especially in the summertime. Obviously, um, you know, it's easy access. And in a way, it's almost like there's actually more going on in Amagansett in terms of restaurants and kind of Amagansett. It's very hot right now. Yeah, yeah, it's very lively. Right. And East Hampton, you've only got like mm. a couple restaurants. Yeah, there's a there's a ton going on in Amagansett, which and you know I, I, some of that is is just due to the fact that Amagansett's been discovered by the you know the hoity toities and the and the really rich uh, young people that have moved there lots of families that come and they've got a huge residential area that you can walk to downtown which always always makes things lively but also it's the same thing you know it's easy access there's tons of parking you can go in at any time of the day even in the summertime and hop out of your car and go grab a quick coffee or something like that and be blasted yeah. back out of town in no time i mean yes if you take the highway, it's it's not easy. There's there's horrible traffic going through Amagansett now, but it's just it's much easier than downtown East Hampton is like. Yeah. I mean, if you get coming into the downtown from the wrong direction, you got to do right. like a twenty five point round turnaround, you know, in a bank parking lot. It's almost like a one way village, you know. <laughs> to go the other way, it is. It's one way in two directions right. <laughs> okay. with a wall in between. It's like being stuck on the Southern State Parkway, and so it's complicated. That's why I like where I live north of the village. It's great because I could just kind of shoot in by the train station, hit like, you know, Hampton Chutney's there and Japanese takeout places there now. And then I could just kind of scoot around and come back up to my neighborhood without ever having to go all the way downtown. Yeah. 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 If you were going to, if you live in Springs and you were going to the old Rowdy Hall, you had to come into town, go through a stoplight, go up to the other end of the business district and make a turnaround someplace and park or park on that side of the across the street take your life in your hands and go out of town and go around down a side yeah. street and through the back parking lot to turn around yeah. and get back out to springs a bit i mean that's probably two or three miles out of your way otherwise you have to do a u-turn on main street or turn down uh what's that park park place or whatever it is where the yeah blue and cream they kind of shy yeah. they yeah. on u-turns 
yeah, it was, I mean, as somebody who did it for <laughs> 25 years, it, it's not, it, it was always, it was a little calisthenics just to get there. And, get out. and you never got a ticket, huh? Never, never pulled over. Uh, no, well, I mean, you're not necessarily breaking the rules. First of all, U-turns are not illegal um, unless they are expressly, there's an expressly a sign that says no U-turns here. You're allowed to make a U-turn. Wait, U-turn in the middle of East Hampton Main Street is not illegal? No, there's a sign there that says that oh. you can't make like at the end of, is it Park Place? What The loop, the circle, I mean, where you go come around through the back and you come out the alley next to the movie theater okay. yeah, yeah. and then you turn right and you can park there. And then that you makes... go pull into, you go pull and you park illegally in the Cinderella parking lot and hope you don't get a, <laughs> get booted there, which they used to do, but they don't anymore. Yeah. So complicated life on the East End. Yeah, it, I mean, East East Hampton Village is definitely the most nightmarish downtown out here. Yeah, by far, everything is a pain in the neck in East Hampton. Unless you have like four lanes of traffic going through Main Street. Which right. Is... Well, right. It's the right. It's it's the only village that the highway actually goes yeah. through. Um, but also, and and there, that's I guess that really is the root of it because that's where the turn limitations come in, yeah. and you know the big stop, you know the main intersection is kind of weird because it isn't a four-way intersection; it's a three-way intersection, and the little street that goes down to the goes down that would could potentially make it a four-way intersection is a little residential road that yeah. goes nowhere, and you know there's nowhere to it. It's East right. Hampton. East Hampton's a pain in the neck. <laughs> and it's and it's gridlocked unless you try to cross at those lovely little crosswalks they have and like the guy in the first lane will stop and you're stepping out and the guy next to him is just oh right. the other guy blazes right by yeah yeah it's yeah it's yeah. quite a it's a it's a pain in the neck and it's got and it's got the cvs parking lot which is oh forget it i never <laughs> oh the there. cvs parking lot and the waldoms parking lot which are definitely the two most nightmarish right. parking well, lots. And the CVS parking lot adjacent to the post office yeah. where everybody has to go pick up their mail because they don't get street delivery. Right, right, exactly. But fun. Yep. Fun. Yeah, just stay home. <laughs> so. Stay in Springs. That's why I loved living in Springs. In the summertime, yeah. you really don't have to live spr leave Springs. There's a hardware store, there's yeah. a liquor store, there's plenty of restaurants, there's delis. You got everything you need. Just stay out there. But I'm like between East Hampton and Sag Harbor. I am I almost 99.9% .9 of the time if I need something I head to Sag Harbor because I know where I can park. I can sneak in the back, yeah. you know. Yeah, other than Hampton other than after 4 p.m. that's fine. After 4 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Screwed, that's true. Yeah. I've always been looking for like I figured with my bike if I could figure out what I'm I'd like to call the Northwest Passage. There was a way to like go through Barcelona and yeah. back in the golf course. Yeah. There was like a little route in there. You could just totally stay off the yeah. highway altogether. Yeah. I have yet to discover the Northwest Passage. Maybe when the ice melts, I'll figure it out. There might be a there might be a dirt bike. Kind of, you, know, you could ride your mountain bike, make that stretch. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Ask Mike Patini. I have. I don't think he I think he said there isn't a way because there's like a creek coming in and stuff. And I don't know goals <laughs> all right i think we've exhausted this topic let's go get a burger at rowdy yeah fun place I'm hungry gotta head out there soon where's your favorite burger out here um i you know the corner bar the corner burgers aren't bad you know what 1770 house let's just put it mm, up there yeah. the place is down in the tavern yeah. you know downstairs it feels like you're conspiring against the british you know, at that yeah. big old like stone <laughs> fireplace, the ceilings that are two inches over your head yeah. on a snowy night, yeah. it really yeah. does feel like you know, like the good old you know, occupation yeah. days. Yeah, it was a speakeasy. I could see that. It's cool, Bill. Have you, Bill, yeah. Brendan, have you guys ever been down there? 
the tavern. So. No. But if you're ever like if you're ever out oh. in East Hampton, you should just stop in there. And- yeah, you you gotta go there. It's it's awesome. In the wintertime, it there's nothing better. It's got a got a beehive fireplace. Beehive fireplace, it's all stone. I mean brick. And like I said, really super low ceiling. Yeah, it's literally it literally like was a speakeasy underneath a underneath an old inn yeah. in the, in seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds. It's super cool. Yep. Definitely worth the price of admission. For sure. And the food is Yeah, it's the best. Awesome. It's the best. Awesome. What about your favorite burger? Is that where you would you agree with that's the spot? Uh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a Rowdy Burger fan, but yeah, definitely 1770 House. And uh, I mean, really, my favorite burger is the American Hotel. Um, is it? Uh, purely because of the English muffin. Big fan of the English muffin. I've never. I've always had a good. I feel like they're just they're great. I, I love that. Burger. I am not a, not a fan of English muffin burgers. Really? No, oh, I, like no. I miss I miss Megan's and Watermill, which was an English muffin burger place. I really like and remember O'Malley's. I used to love that place. That was our go to the one that was in. Uh... Yeah, everybody liked O'Malley's. I was surprised when they I think that was mostly just familial complications that that when the next the next generation didn't want to run because they were like, I think there were six. of They them had the one at the old um, uh, there in Noyak, you know, at the. Yeah, and then they had yep. the there one in Amagansett, like the where one. you know, um, what is it now? Well, now it's now it's now it's a hedge fund, uh, but then it yeah, it, that's what yeah, it Benny is, Kropinski exactly. bought it, and it was it was the yeah. Chinese place way fund that was O'Malley's for years. There was one in Hampton Bays for years yeah. that uh, yeah. my family went to all the time, and, and there's one on uh, the North Fork, which was there, right? For uh, well, the North Fork one's still there. That's that's is the it? original. Yep, that's the original. That's where the family lives. And uh, mm-hmm. that's still there. The 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 parents of, um, you know, the son. There was the one in Bridgehampton, uh, and the son that then became World Pie, which which was the son Mike Menino, um, mm-hmm. which you know he didn't want to take over all these O'Malley's, but his parents still own the one in in on the North Fork. As far as I'm aware, they still own it. It's still called O'Malley's. Um, and uh, yeah, that was right. So there was the there was where Rowdy Hall was. There was then that move when Rowdy Hall moved in there. That place moved to the one in uh, on the highway on Panago, yeah. which was there for a long time. Also, yeah, and was and was hugely famous because they were open till midnight every night, seven days a week, all That's year great. round. You could go at you know in the middle of January at eleven fifty five. If you walked in the door at eleven fifty-five and there was nobody in the place, sit right yeah. down. What? Wow. And it was like, and the burgers were like eight dollars or something, like really cool. Yeah, right. And the right, the right. They had a huge, yeah, they had a huge menu, like twenty-five different specialty burgers. Now, there's a lot of people that miss that place, man. I totally miss that place a lot. Yep. But it just yeah. doesn't, you know what? It just uh, you you look at the price of burgers now; they're twenty twenty-five bucks because they got to be. I mean, beef is freaking expensive burgers are not a cheap product and a lot of restaurants you know i've been saying it for years you know you see it in the city it's we've been customers and have forced restaurants to lose money on food for a long time yeah and beef is where you lose it that's why you don't see more steakhouses i'll have to say like rowdy rowdy also does the, a really good impossible burger yeah, i love their croque is... monster that's that's what i love there is that so oh. few places make a croque monster and there's you know another one the american hotel has that not as good 
Rowdy Hall's Croke is awesome. The American Hotel refuses to have French fries, which is kind right, of- Right, I love that. I have no problem with that. That's great. <laughs> Good for them. Now I want to put they have they have killer potato salad and killer <laughs> killer coleslaw, which is great with that burger. Oh, that makes me want to go there for a burger right now. But I'm not well, in Sag Harbor. Go. I should have stayed in Sag Harbor for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. Next week's podcast, yeah. it's going to be all about restaurants that are very good that you can no longer go to because they can't exist anymore. Right? Like, can't go home anymore. Yeah, exactly. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.